All right, everybody, welcome to a, another edition of Right in the Nerds. Uh, I'm say continuing here with our October, like, spooky season. Spooky season. That's right. We're going to be discussing horror topics all month long, so, and hopefully we chose some good ones, but I think we got a really good one uh, for you tonight, and before I introduce it, I am here, as always, with my uh, co-host. Ray BG. And, of course, I'm Cody. Uh, unfortunately, Kager could not be with us tonight. Uh, had a last-second work call in that had to happen, but uh, he'll be back with us soon. You know how it is. We always get the band back together. So, hey, when we get back together, we're going to give you a, one another exciting episode with us. So, tonight, um, like the Tooth Man said, we're going to be talking about Night of the Living Dead. It was one, one of the earliest um, horror flicks dealing with zombies um, that was actually still being used till this day as a carbon copy of zombies. You look at Walking Dead, that series, and all and everything else, and the series after the Night of the Living Dead came that came through, like the um, Dawn of the Dead, Return of the Dead, all those by Mr. Romero. Um, excellent zombie movies. And one thing before I turn it back over to the Tooth Man, because I'm pretty sure he was going to say something before I jumped in here. No, you're um, This movie was so ahead of its time in its casting and its lead. That I don't. I think it was sort of an overlooked um, example of how modern day movies are now. As you, when you start looking at movies um, that show represent people of different backgrounds. So with that, let Mister Toothman give us some more information on this well, wonderful movie. You kind of touched like on what I was going to say. Is I think that in terms of horror movies, the best horror movies are always something that plays with. Some kind of overarching theme, societal fear. Um, you know, there's a good reason why Get Out is amazing. There's mm-hmm. a good reason why the original Halloween or even, you know, Jason movies were actually pretty good. Uh, yeah, like, it, it all dealt with some kind of horrific fear that people might have had in the back of their mind where the people, you know, people get punished who actively engage in that kind of thing and... I think Night of the Living Dead kind of played with that, but their monster in this was human nature, almost. like Well, sorry, was humanity boiled down to its base? Yes. Because the zombies weren't, you know, they, they weren't Dracula. Like, they weren't vampires. They weren't werewolves. They weren't ghosts. They were people. People who had no higher brain function than just to function off of their base instinct, which was to eat. Yes. And killing indiscriminately to make sure that their needs got met. So it was yes. basically what happens if you're in a permanent fight mode. Yes. Yeah. So that's really the genius of it. Like, you know, you're, you're playing off of something that all of us can wrap our mind around. You know, if... If the early Halloween and in some of the Jason movies that dealt with more promiscuity and kind of things like that amongst the teen population was more of a visceral fear of, you know, well, like you said, promiscuity right. amongst teens, alcoholism amongst teens, and being punished for that, this one was something that covers everybody. Right. Is this is what we are if you really put us in... If you put our back against the wall, this is what we could be. Right. And then the other themes that it played with, which we'll get into a little later, 
uh, strike a chord even today. But I guess I, I don't know where to start with this. So are we just going to jump into the so, plot? Cause it's, yeah, so basically with this movie, um, this is 1968 um, version. They've done since then, I think in the, um, the late 70s, early 80s, um, they did a color. They they put it into color, um, mm-hmm. and then they've done like many episodes. That I think that the one that everybody knows after this was 1985's Return of the Living Dead, which was sort of a slapstick um, version of the original. Yeah, um, it was more similar than it was different. To be honest, it was I think it was like they were looking at redoing it, but they decided, nah, we'll just call it Return. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, um, you start off in the movie, you have these. Two siblings, they're adults. They're going to a graveyard to meet, um, to go to, I think, whether it's their fathers or their mothers. I think grave, so. Yeah. Gravesite. It was a brother and a sister. And um, they had not heard yet that these people, their people were, were rising from the graves. But as they're driving there, um, if you were noticing the whole cinema, you see that there are people around the graveyard that are moving like they're drunk. But you don't know whether that what's going on at that point in time. Yeah, which her brother <laughs> does not take seriously at all. <laughs> right. Some dude shambles up to you in a graveyard looking that disheveled. Chances are you should take that shit seriously. There you go. Like to me, that sets off a dozen red flags. But I don't know if it's because I've seen movies like this before. Right. The sixties were a different time. <laughs> but I, I still remember because what was it? He's got like the zombies clearly going after Barbara first. And she's backing away. She's scared to death. And he's making fun of her. Yes. You know, what was it? He's like, they're coming for you, Barbara. Yes. That was like a famous line. That, yes. Um, that those like those kind of dumbass jokes. And then the tables turn. <laughs> he gets viciously murdered. Um, yeah. And Barbara, you know, GTFO, she gets the hell out of there. She's she's on the road. Yes. And so she um, stumbles. She stumbles upon that on that house, right? Mm-hmm. She stumbles upon the house, and um, she gets in the house. She's screaming, asks for help, and um, in there um, we have Dwayne Jones, who was actually in the area for he was doing some type of um, work in the area, and he's already noticed these dead people walking around, and um, they get into. So she he he get he lets her in the house. And he's talking to her, trying to see, you know, what's wrong. Because at this point, I think she's all in hysteria mm-hmm. at this point. And um, I think somewhere between then and there, she had seen her brother um, as a zombie. Yeah. I could be skipping over some things. Um, anyways, he's trying to trying to get trying to get her to talk, trying to get her back to reality. And she's all in this catatonic state in her mind. Mm-hmm. And um, there are already people in the house, apparently. Yeah. Um, in the basement, which he didn't know, there were um, a family and their daughter. Um, unbeknownst to us at the beginning, the daughter had already been bitten, so she was sick. She had a high fever, but her father was trying to take care of with the mother. And then you had um, these other guys in the house. A, a younger guy uh, was in the house, and he, he was helping um, Dwayne. I'm sorry, Ben, um, board the house up to protect against zombies. So basically, at this point in time, you have... Two things going on. You have these zombies. Three things going on. You have these zombies roaming around um, out the, outside their graves. Any any human, any person um, that they run into, they're eating. You have now on the radio, because everything is done um, at this point in time with radio, 
putting out this, this special bulletin about the undead or weird people walking around in, eating each other. Mm-hmm. And then you have this group in this house, uh, two factions. Basically, you have a faction. You have the people that's living in the cellar, and then you have the people above the cellar, which has been... Um, Tom and Judy. Barbara. Yeah. Um, and who else? Tom and Judy. Tom and Judy. Yeah. Because they're... <clears throat> poor Barbara in that catatonic state. Tom and Judy are the only ones who are really helping Ben out at this point because... Well, they start to listen to the radio, and that's when they hear, like, you know, okay, well, you can kill them with a quick blow to the head, burn them, shoot mm-hmm. them in the head, you know, do all of this. And then they also reveal to you that it was a space probe mm-hmm. from, what was it, space probe that exploded in the Earth's atmosphere on the way back from Venus. Yes. So, in this, we get the whole thing that most zombie movies now have sort of adopted and, and, and ran with it. But originally, like in, in The Walking Dead, now you find out they finally come, came on to say there was a comet from, was from space with these spores mm-hmm. that turned people into zombies. And, of course, they get that from Romero's um, Night of the Living Dead. Because that's where it all began. Space space um, spores, alien mm-hmm. space spores turning people into zombies. Um, so you, you got this. And like I said, you got two factions in the house. You got the people below the house that's living in the cellar. You got the people above the house. And, and um, the two men already mentioned the main characters there. Um, the ones that we didn't mention were the people in the cellar. And they were Harry, um, Helen, I want to say, is the mother. And Karen. And Karen was the daughter. Um, Harry believes that we're only safe if we live in the, if we go below, below deck in the cellar. Because he thinks, hey, it, it's fortified. There's one entrance in and one entrance only. If anything breaks loose, we can defend that. And then, of course, you got Ben, who's like, you're crazy, man. If they break through that cellar, there's no way you're getting out because there's only one way out. So you got one group is like, hey, listen, the best defensible place is if we put ourselves in a hole. The other one's like, no, we need to have all options open, mm-hmm. essentially. Right. And Which... <clears throat> go ahead, sorry. Which Ben has that great line, like, if you're stupid enough to go down and die in the cellar, that's fine, but I'm not stupid enough to follow you. Exactly. And so, throughout this whole time, you got these some zombies coming up to the windows and stuff, and at the time, they don't realize how to kill them in the beginning. Um, it wasn't until um, Ben takes a couple shots at these zombies, and then he finally hits it in the head, and he realizes, oh, the head. And then that was also before the radio. And ironically, if you look at the movie... He figures this out, and not maybe two seconds later, you hear the radio broadcast saying the ways to kind of kill the zombies. So I found that interesting in there. And there's a term that that people have used in movies when it comes to black characters in movies saving everybody. And they call them the magical black person. Or some terms have been called the magical Negro. I, I rather just go with the magical black person term because that's less um, stress on social... social um, derogatory yeah, which yeah, Especially derogatory terms. You're definitely not going to catch me ever <laughs> using that term, that's for sure. Um, and, of course, the magical black person is the whole thing in the movie industry where there's a black person that's um, part of a group in the movie that basically saves everybody. He's a superhero of everybody. It's kind of funny because the only <laughs> time I can remember that trope being used, and I'm sure I'm overlooking dozens of examples, but... Uh, People, the last time I can remember a big 
furor about it in a movie was uh, The Legend of Bagger Vance mm-hmm. with Will Smith's character. Mm-hmm. And I still, like, I don't know if he was supposed to be an angel or something in it, but it was, like, it, you know, very clearly shows up mysteriously, leaves mysteriously, mm-hmm. shows up again at the end when the character is played by Jack Lemmon and not a little kid. Like, it's all confusing as hell. But, yeah, that trope, it ne- yeah, it, it exists. Mm-hmm. It never exactly died or went anywhere, unfortunately. Like, it, it's one you kind of got to... Let's just put it this way. Hollywood ain't as woke as they think. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyways, um, Ben has been coming up with all these ideas, um, boarding the windows, boarding everything up, um, and, and just fin- his whole plan is to wait the daylight when more than likely there'll be help coming through and then everybody escapes. Well, Harry at that point believes, hey, we just live in the cellar. And then you have... Um, Tom and Judy, um, who's like, you know what? These zombies are starting to break through these windows a little bit. I sort of, mm-hmm. I understand what Ben is trying to do, but I also understand what Harry is trying to do. And his daughter is sick. We need to try to get into the hospital. We need to try to get somewhere else safe. Yeah. And so. Yeah, Ben's the one who comes up with the plan. Like, well, we can go refuel my truck. Mm-hmm. Tom and Judy will go with me. Mm-hmm. We can hold the zombies off with a combination of torches and Molotov cocktails. Yes. Which... In hindsight, not a great idea when you're refueling a vehicle. Right. We found that out. Yeah, which which is exactly where we're getting to now. <laughs> because during the scuffle, uh, the ruckus, uh, you know, fracas with all the zombies, whatever you want to call it, um, somehow <laughs> the fuel, the pump gets kind of messed with and the fuel starts pouring on the ground and whatnot and one of those molotovs goes off a little too close yep tom and judy die yes so ben on the other hand is still alive well he's our hero anyway like you know he's gonna make it um yeah but he's he's able to fight through the ghouls and get back to the farmhouse partly because tom and judy have freshly been charbroiled and apparently zombies are perfectly fine with having uh their meat well done there you go yeah, so they just don't care. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so Tom gets, I'm sorry, Ben gets back to the house. And, of course, now it's just Harry, their daughter, and Helen, the mother. And at this time, Helen has basically, I'm sorry, not Helen, but uh, Karen, which was a daughter, has basically turned. But she's in a she's in the state before she awakens as a zombie. Mm-hmm. And... Harry goes upstairs and he confronts him and there's this big argument and he hears his wife scream. I could be mixing that up. Something happens. Well, so what happens is the zombies finally reach the farmhouse. They start to break through. Mm-hmm. Uh, ben and Harry have an argument where Ben shoots Harry on accident. Yeah. Uh, Harry stumbles his way back down to the cellar. Yep. And uh, Karen reanimates Barbara snaps out of her catatonic state to try and help Ben defend the upstairs. Right. But uh, Karen reanimates, starts to eat her dad, I think, after she kills her mother with a masonry trowel. Yes, yes. Yeah, so she uses a weapon, which yes. you don't really see again in a lot of the Romero flicks. Right. Uh, until Land of the Dead, actually, when one gets a hold of a gun. and right. Yeah. So... Um, yeah, so they, but in the meantime, <laughs> Ben and Barbara are upstairs 
absolutely fighting for their life. And what does Barbara in? Her own brother. Yes. Shows up as one of the zombies, and she absolutely loses her shit. She gets dragged out amongst the ghouls, and now it's just Ben. It's just Ben, yeah. Yeah, I, I, pretty much it was basically seeing where, oh my God, my brother, it's my brother, it's my brother, it's my last family, and mm-hmm. and she just basically air surfs to her brother, and leads to believe she's going to now become a zombie. Right. We don't get to see that. It's Ben now, last survivor um, in this house, and it's ironic too, because this movie also set up a lot of their zombie games that are out there, the survivalist games that are out there. Where you're fighting zombies or some type of wildlife and you have to build your fort to defend. This is all from Romero. I don't care what game designers say or we just thought about this survival. No. You got that from watching Night of the Living Dead. Romero is is a person who gave you guys that idea. Whether you want to admit to it or not. Oh hell, even we <laughs> even when we discussed World War Z, Max Brooks owes a little bit to Romero. There you go. He had a few tweaks, but yeah, that's Romero. Um so it's Ben. Um, he is doing his thing, surviving. And um, all of a sudden, I know we're going through this pretty fast, but I mean, that's the gist of the movie. Most of the movie was commentary. It was basically oh, yeah. the relationship like, between everybody in this house trying to survive. I guess another famous line is when they're listening to the radio broadcasts mm-hmm. and they're just like, what would you describe these creatures as? You know, that typical radio announcer voice from the 1950s or 60s. And it was, well, I'd... They're pretty messed up. That's the whole thing. Like, that's his initial. That's the leader of this posse that's going around taking these things down. Mm-hmm. And oddly enough, like, the funny thing is, like, they stayed put, which is one of the smarter ideas, I guess, if you know a posse's working its way up to wipe these things out and come save you guys, because running away further is only going to keep the horde after you longer. Right. And then you have a. I don't know if you guys have ever seen The Mist or read that book. Um, yeah, running away from the problem, going toward where you think is safety might not be the case because at the end, right after, you know, the main character kills his kid and whatnot, you kind of figure out the military's been on their trail the whole time and about ready to save him at any moment. Right. Whoops. So. But, yeah, so, I mean, you have that famous line, but, um, yeah, but like you said, Ben rushes back down to the cellar. Right. Because it's the only place he has left to go. Right. Uh, you know, he can board up the doors like Harry had been doing, but he also has a problem. He got three zombies in the cellar now. <laughs> Which he does promptly kill. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, he's not dicking around at this yeah, point. Yeah, no, he's like, I'm, I'm done with this. And so, like, he, he takes him out. Um, so somehow in between him being down in the cellar, taking out, finishing these zombies off in the cellar, and um, daybreak comes, the zombies have left the house. Mm. Don't know why they left, where they went. Because, you know, in today's modern zombie movies, they always there's always at least one lagging behind somewhere yeah. waiting to jump out at you. Um, he goes out. He's looking around. He looks out the window. He sees this daylight. And then he hears a noise. He hears a group of people um, mm. coming. And so he's looking out the window. And introduction, we have um, part of narration. Uh, and you get the sheriff and a group of people. And the sheriff sees a movement in the window, and instead of checking the house for signs, he tells his shooter, um, Oh, yeah, the whole conversation goes, Yeah, there's something in the house. I heard it. 
And then they see Ben kind of looking through the window and just goes, well, get him right between the eyes. And they shoot him in the face. Yeah. Like, he's gone. He survives that whole ordeal. He's the only one smart enough to get everybody through alive, at least that would listen to him. Right. Or not have a mishap with a fuel tank. Right. You know, like, in all honesty, yeah, that could have gone better. But at the same time, you know, Murphy's Law, I guess. Um. But yeah, this sheriff, like, there's not a whole, there's not even thinking to check and see if any of these people are alive. Like, the ones they see roaming in fields, you see them just gun them down. Right. But as soon as they shoot Ben, that's another one for the burn pile. Yeah. That's it. It's just as casual as that. Right. So, you know, it it's uncomfortable. It's a grim as hell ending, especially by 1960 standards. You know, back when everything used to kind of have a happy ending to it, as far as I can tell. Yeah. But my take on it is I think, like, because, you know, that was during the time of when civil rights was huge. Oh. When it was, you know, that was that was when Activision was out. And, of course, Romero, mm-hmm. making his movie, sort of, that was his entrance into, into a movie about civil rights, about the actions taken against people. Um, in a sense, and he also did this movie. One thing that some of you guys probably, when you when you hear this, you look it up, look the movie up, you'll see that it has an independent label on it. Mm-hmm. He had to do this movie independent in order to get his story there, in order to put these mm-hmm. societal, small business societal um, personality into it. Yeah, I know I'm missing the word. I'm using personality because maybe that's what my brain can translate it as at the moment. But he basically, you know, put he put a spin on what was happening. In the degree with with the civil rights movement, what was happening in America at the time, with how, like you mentioned, you got these zombies, which really, if you look at it in, in a different light, they weren't really zombies. They were just people going about their everyday life to the status quo. They were just moving to survive, to eat. And then you had these people who, you had the other people who were trying to survive, those you know, those people that are trying to get above the, the, the status quo in order to survive. And then you had, at the end, um, Ben being the last person that's trying to get over the status quo, ends up getting killed by the people who want to keep everything and sense the status quo. And and if you want to <laughs> really put the move, like, because Romero even said he honestly didn't intend to have the racial undertone to it. Mm-hmm. It's just casting Ben is what did it. Mm-hmm. Like they originally had the part written a lot simpler. He was supposed to be very uneducated truck driver type, not specified if he was supposed to be white or black in right. the script. But when he hired Ben, the guy refused to read the lines like an uneducated, like, you know, like he refused to dumb down the lines because he was higher educated himself. Like mm-hmm. he just wa- he didn't want to be a stereotype. OK, perfect. They let him roll with it. Uh, you know, it wasn't supposed to have the racial overtones. He just wanted to show what human beings were at their core. That was right. the whole point of having the zombie. OK, well, why don't we look at the events of what happened in 1968? Mm hmm. Because, oh my God, what a fucking year that was. Um, So civil rights, Martin Luther King was killed April 4th, 1968. Mm -hmm. RFK, who was also a champion of civil rights, from what I recall in his own right as well, Mm -hmm. murdered two months after in a hotel kitchen, June 6th, 1948. Um, There was a lot going on, uh, you know, Prominent leaders, ones who were definitely in favor of upending the status quo, 
were meeting very untimely deaths. Right. All because of what they stood for. Right. Really. And even at that, I you know, like it and then you have bucking the tradition of having a leading white guy in a movie. Um Yeah. I I mean the Civil Rights Act was passed in nineteen sixty four, but you still didn't have true equality like well, I mean, honestly, do we still today? Uh yeah. I say it like yeah. So but this is even more volatile at this time. Like so now you have the Hollywood trend that's being bucked of having a you know, not having a white guy save the day, and by that, not even having a white guy who's the leader. Right. Like, the guy who has all the ideas is the guy that everyone else would normally look down on. Right. So, yeah, this is a pretty big leap, you know, for a lot of audiences to digest, but it resonated with the time so well that you couldn't help but notice. Right. Which, in all honesty... Most of what we ingest in media wise is a product of the time in which it comes out. You know, most of your successful franchises, movies, and whatnot will catch on to something that has been dealt with for a while, but is at the forefront of everyone's mind. That's why we flock to it so much. And the fact that this movie still holds up so damn well 52 years later. This oh, yeah. was released in October 1st, 1968. Right, 1968, exactly. Yeah. Um, to be honest, this movie, if you look at any of Romero's work, this movie, to me, is still better than some of the later versions of, of, mm-hmm. of the same prequel. Some of the, not prequels, but some of the same... Um, like the same series. Same, same series that came out. This is still, this base material is still some of your better um, storytelling um, and character development than some yeah. of the other stuff because most of his most of his later stuff, um, I understand that with more action than actual intellectual. Dawn of the Dead was probably the next best in my opinion, but that's yeah. because it was more of that. It, it taking place in the mall, yeah, uh, shopping mall. So that was a good movie. The yes. zombies were consumers, right? Making fun of consumerism, right? A little too on the nose, but you get it. Like, these people hold themselves up in a shopping mall and are still able to enjoy all their creature comforts in the midst of an apocalypse. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, I get what they're trying to say. But this one, while it was dealing with... It was dealing with an ugly part of society Mm -hmm. instead of our own materialism, which was Dawn of the Dead. Like, they all had a different theme to them. Right. And even at that, like, Land of the Dead, if I remember correctly, was Romero's way of saying... Zombies really aren't that different from us. Right. Because at the end, they avoid killing a huge group of them because they're, they're just looking for some place to go. Right. And I'm like, yeah, but they just, you know, like, that that place to go might be looking for you for epic meal time. There you go. Like, protect yourself at the same time. But then the main zombie and him have this, like, weird moment where he can see him through the windshield of their, I don't know what you call it, murder Winnebago? I, I don't know what it was. <laughs> And they just have the silent acknowledgement and they walk their separate, separate ways. ways. And yep. I'm like, okay. Murder, murder Winnebago. Well, it's like <laughs> it's like an RV that's set up with like machine gun slots, missile launcher on top. Like, yeah. it's the closest you can get to a tank and a recreational vehicle. <laughs> I don't know what else to call it. 
Look, so I was like, I'm not messing with you. Right. <laughs> you got bigger tools than me. <laughs> right. And it, it seems like the zombies <clears throat> still, like, they, they went through every facet of that tiny gated community in Land of the Dead, but yes. they still didn't go everywhere they could have. Right. So it's almost like they were passing through, and they seemed to, it almost seemed like they were regaining their humanity back in that one. And, and, and so that's one point um, that is mentioned because we're not talking about the whole series right now. We're just talking about this one movie. Yeah. As you watch the Romero films that follow, you notice with each iterations that they do start seem to becoming closer and closer to their humanity again. The zombies are. Because um, in, some, in some of his later movies, Romero's later movies, um, these zombies were actually getting smarter. Like they, when the people, when they were being hunted, they found ways to turn stuff back on the people who were hunting them. So yeah, you, you, you slowly start seeing that small brain function, something else kicking in, in intelligence starting to form back. Yeah, I guess Day of the Dead's another good function of that because don't they theorize that Bub, that one zombie that pals around with the main characters who won't bite anybody? Right. It's because he was a vegetarian? Yeah, yeah. In his former life? Right. So he won't eat anybody? Right. Okay. I'm in. Like. So, hey. <laughs> But yeah, um, also guys, um, not giving anybody any product placement here, but uh, right now, I know it's Halloween, and if you guys do want to see this movie, um, AMC um, is actually showing this movie right now. It's on, the, it's on their um, rotation right now, if anybody ever wants to watch this movie for themselves. Really, if you haven't seen this, do yourself a favor and engage in a cinema classic. Like, Romero was in many ways ahead of his time completely by accident you know like it it just so happens that the movie came along at the perfect time and like i said like you know i think i've said this plenty of times in this cast all good horror movies have to deal with a reckoning of some kind that we have to deal like that we deal with in society because that makes the fear a lot more gripping right because we know this. We've seen it ourselves. Okay, well now, you know, if these guys can't deal with it, how, you know, what, what's the hope for the rest of us? Kind of thing. Like, it, I don't know, it just brings you closer into that because you can understand the plight, I guess, a lot better. Right. It's not like some of the latest iterations of the other slasher movies, like the later Nightmare on Elm Streets or the... Halloween, like, 42 or however the hell many they're on where it's kids die the darndest ways. It was, you know, like, it was it was always dealing with something. And a lot of, you know, hell, even the original Alien movie could even almost be seen as a, an allegory for, like, childbirth. It's just Alien. the only, yeah, it's just the only problem oh, yeah. is yeah. it's the men who always have the chest burster come out. So they're the ones who have to experience something trying to make its way out of them. Right. Which, yeah, talk about that. And it's also why the alien was very phallic-shaped. You know, that's that's totally true because you remember in, um, what was that, um, Alien versus Predator, mm -hmm. when the um, Predator-Alien hybrid um, went to the, ho the hospital and in impregnated all the pregnant females with its embryos and yeah. they ate the human embryos. And, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, it was very much supposed to be that. And oddly enough, the only person who survives that first Alien movie, I think it was first because Hicks, he makes it through two, but he gets introduced in two, only to die off camera in between movies because apparently 
Hollywood just says, screw you, Michael Bain, when it comes to a lot of this stuff. Um, no, so I mean, like, the horror movies have to deal with that kind of thing. That's what makes them good. Um, yeah, I mean, really, it, just a general discussion on zombies, because Romero really set up the mythology that comes behind our modern interpretation. Yep. It existed before. The term zombie existed before, but it was mostly related to voodoo. Right. You know, where you kind of made, you kind of exerted your power over somebody to where they were a mindless drone. Right. They weren't dead. Like, there was no necromancy involved. It was just, you were in control. They Today were, we call that um, tele- telepathy. Yeah, and when you look at the superhero movies, literally that's what, that's what mind controls superheroes. That's what Professor X does. It's what he, yeah. It's what he, <laughs> it's what he can do. Yeah, exactly. Okay. It's what he can do. It's what Gene Gray can do. It's just, yeah. So. <laughs> right? God. I still, I, uh, yeah, I, I tried, because X-Men Apocalypse on Disney Plus. Right. I tried watching that and I'm just like, oh, so this was the reintroduction of the second failure of the Phoenix. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, it's like it just, I remember I'm just like, well, they wasted Apocalypse. And then I see the Phoenix at the end of the movie. I'm like, nope, they wasted two things. Like we've, we how'd you fuck up twice in one movie? <laughs> Congrats. <laughs> So, um, yeah, um, right now, um, I was just looking up, um, some, some, some statistic information and Rotten Tomatoes still has his movie, this classic from 1968 at 97% as of Rotten Tomatoes. That's freaking outstanding. Especially for a movie if, that old. Especially for a horror movie. Exactly. You look at your average horror movie, they're not getting higher than 45 typically. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, in terms of review aggregates. And IMDb has it at 7.9 out of 10, which is still good on, on IMDb. So that's that's crazy. And I'm not saying you can't have a, you know, horribly gory horror movie and not have it be successful. But it has to have at least a little bit of intelligence or an interesting concept to it. Hell, Final Destination. Everybody's scared of death to some fashion. Right. Like, we all have to deal with that every day, but knowing that it's actively coming after you is what makes that movie horrible. Even though I'm pretty sure death is very much into Rube Goldberg machines in those <laughs> movies because all of them play out like one. Um, you know, so, yeah. the But the zombie, I've zombies have always been my favorite, like, mythical creature that wants to kill you. Um Maybe except for, I don't know, I do have a soft spot for Wendigos as well. Really? I don't know why. I think mm. it's the whole cannibalism aspect where if you eat somebody, you become one. Yeah. And it makes you a monster. So it's quite literally being a monster of your own design. <laughs> okay, I got you. I Yeah, so I don't know. It's kind of one of the, like, a vampire, nobody really asks to be a vampire. But if you are engaging in cannibalism and become a Wendigo, that's your own damn fault. What is this, dude? I've never heard of that movie before. What is it? There's always vanilla? What the hell? It's in the zombie genre for some reason. Well, it says Halloween's in the zombie genre. Oh, okay. Okay, I guess I take that back. If you're going more like Halloween 6, Season of the Witch or whatever, which, by the way, is so bad that they consider that to be non-canonical. Okay, I see... Oh, it's a George Romero movie. It's I see why it's... In, I, I understand now. Yeah, it was another... 
social construct that he was going that he was making a movie. Oh, about. it was a Romero movie. Okay. It's you see, oh, the, yeah, dealing that's with, why dealing that's, with abortion. That's why it's yeah. Okay, Damn. I'll leave that alone. Yeah, no, I'm gonna leave that one alone too. <laughs> I've never seen it for one. So no, I'm not gonna touch on it. Sophie's Choice might have said it better. <laughs> so we'll we'll leave it there. Yeah. Um. Always with Noah. Can yeah. I have to find that now. I'm sorry. I'm a corn. Hey, I love I love corn. I love old school corny movies. So I might. Have to, See what that's about. Well, it kind of goes against his thing too, like you know his usual type, I guess. Yep. For the movie he does, it's kind of like when you find out that Wes Craven actually did direct a rom com. Yeah. I can't remember what it was called, but yeah, I, I know I've seen it. I know I wasn't obviously. I can't remember the name. I wasn't too impressed. But yeah, so I mean, yeah, if you if you really love the zombie genre, if you like The Walking Dead, um any of the Land of the Dead movies, anything that had ever had a zombie in it, which is virtually everything, Z Nation, whatever, we're all... Z Nation is awesome. We're all then owing something to George Romero. Yes. And really helping establish the fact that social commentary is a good way to drive home horror. I mean, really, still. like I know I've harped on that point a lot, but he really does nail it home even if it wasn't his original intention. Right. You know. But I'm trying to think because zombies have always been my favorite just because they were humanity at its base. You know, it was, this is what happens if you only live for your own needs, essentially. that All you will do is consume, consume, consume. Right. With regard to nobody around you, like, it's just not... At that point, are you alive? No. You know, like, you really aren't at that point. Right. It's kind of another meta-commentary he's making on that. Like, right. Yeah. And I, and I think that uh, moving um, to a sidebar a little bit, another um, movie within the genre um, was 28 Weeks Later. Oh, yeah. Which was another... The concept of what made these human turn to what they became was slightly different than Romero's vision, but I think it it touched Romero's vision as well as to how people on a social level. Um, With this particular movie, and some of you may or may not have seen it, um, there was a virus that was created, and this one actually wasn't an alien space virus. This was a virus that was created in nature that was experimented on by humans, and we sort of made it worse than what it was. Um, and it basically what it did was the same thing as Romero's zombies. It lowered your brain function and made you all consuming. Yeah. But at the same time, in this one, it attacked your rage, and your, yes. your rage centers of your mind, which made you basically homicidal, homicidal to the extreme. Basically, you were a rabbit. You became a rabbit human. That your it, only focus was to convert other people to you. But it was in con- yeah, because you <clears> either <throat> get beaten to death mm-hmm. and killed that way, or you get in contact with either blood, saliva, yes, what any, any, any body of- fluid, any yeah. biological hazard from the infected person would turn you right. Yeah, and that's what did it. Um, so yeah, that that's a horrifying concept in itself because in, in that movie, the virus gets unleashed from some well-meaning animal rights activists who break into a lab yeah (laughs) and release a chimp who's been experimented on which i gotta say if you're busting 
some animals out of a place where they're testing new shampoos on them, that's one thing. Yeah. But any place where you go into where they're testing viruses and shit, I kind of draw the line there just because you don't know what you're releasing. Right. Like, right. at that point, I hate that that happened, but we need to try and get them to not get more animals as opposed to letting the ones out <laughs> that might have been... Yes, that might have been <laughs> infected, which takes down an entire country. Took down entire entire continents. Well, that's true. At the end of at the end of twenty eight weeks later, they're just like, "Well, some weird shit's happening in France." You're just like, "Nope, we already know what's happening in yeah. France." Like, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, George Romero was is is or was a great visionary in these types of movies, being able to use the undead supernatural horrors to show social constructs, societal patterns. Um, with you know with with people and and like I say he sort of kind of un, probably un, well unintentionally uh, re, he was ahead of his time and revolutionized revolutionizing that a character that wasn't always white could be smart intelligent and the problem solver um, in the movie you know um, so I give him I give him mad props for that whether it was intentional or not. Um, the fact that he was able, the fact that he still kept this actor who didn't want to read the script because it was dumbed down, dumbed down um, and still kept him because he had he could have probably found someone else that would have done it for oh. money. Um, but the fact that he really liked this actor and he saw this actor being Ben um, and he ran with it, I, I, I give him I give him mad props for that. I, I thank him for that because another fun fact was they had an alternate ending where Ben would have survived. Right. And the guy who played Ben was like, no. Right. This needs to happen the way you had it. Right. Which, you know, props to uh, Dwayne Jones, I believe his name, right? Yeah. Yeah, Dwayne Jones, who played Ben, uh, really probably did a lot more for that movie than a lot of people would ever give him credit for, for just those two things alone. Right. Because if Ben would have made it out happy-go-lucky, I don't think we'd still be talking about it. Nope. It would have been another Hollywood ending that we would not have. No, yeah. But (laughs) instead, this was a grim reality where you realize that, you know, and the posse are definitely made to look real rednecky. Yeah, they were. They were were made to look like a um, either a a lynching group or a militia group uh, that was just out to just scour the land for... Whatever, so yeah. And the fact that they shoot Ben without thinking twice, which not to mention, he is the only black character in the entire movie. That you see, yeah. Yeah, that you see. Like, you know, uh, so it's rural Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. So I can imagine that, uh, yeah, there's a lot more social commentary that can be made just from the fact that, you know. Because that scene would have looked totally different. What transpired would have been totally different had it been the military or a National Guard uniformed group that did what they did at the end. The yeah. fact that it was just everyday people and the sheriff, that imagery within itself is historical because in history, if, you re, if you've known your history or looked through your history, that's how it's been when it has been like lynchings or militias coming or a group of people joined together come to destroy things that they should not have. Right. It's a very ugly reflection. Right. Um, Yeah. And unfortunately, like I said, still to this day, like people still talk about it because 
honestly, this imagery still survives. Right. And you'll always have that, you know, it, the best thing you could hope for with a movie like this is that it will eventually fade out of relevance and just be seen as a historical artifact. Right. Now, on a funny note, one of the things I did love graphically, because this is a very graphic movie. Oh, yeah, it was. Um, it was very gory. Like, I laugh today when you see movies, they say uh, they rape them and you see because of gore. I'm like, you guys haven't seen Night of the Living Dead. Because I'm pretty sure if you were to look at that and look how some of these zombies are chomping down on the fake meats that they're eating, mm-hmm. it's like literally they are at a buffet. there's a scene where you have a group of zombies eating this man's or woman's intestines and they're just like and it's all facial and it's insane (laughs) poor judy (laughs) (laughs) you got poor judy it was them it was the people who went out with the truck group because some of the shots of the movie are just the zombies well like you said having snack time like they're they're tearing this body apart yes and they're sparing you no detail nothing so i mean that was not says it may to some people it may not be funny, but to me it was funny because I'm just like these are be saying to themselves, mm, this is a good buffet. It's right. already cooked. <laughs> right. I say the, yeah, you know, like that's that's the zombie version of Golden Corral right there. there. You like you tell the tell the guy how you want that steak because he's about <laughs> ready to serve it up. But yeah, I mean they they spared nothing. And truthfully, even in black and white. You know, when it was originally filmed, mm-hmm. uh, you knew what you were looking at. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Like, there was no sugar coating it. There was nothing like that. You, uh, very visceral. Because I can remember the first time I saw it, I'm like, wow, I'm actually surprised they got away with this back then. Yeah. Because you just didn't see that. A lot of horror movies, you know, I'm thinking of ones that might have come out around that time and I'll have to look it up to make sure I'm not well, wrong. You know, like, I, 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 I agree with that, but also you gotta understand uh, that the, the the B sci-fi movies that they're making too that were considered horror movies, like the Swamp the Swamp Men or something like that, where they were abducting women and raping women to have their to have hybrid kid, sea creature kids, like some crap like that. Oh uh, yeah. They showed mm. they they sort of sort of re mm-hmm. reanimated uh, rape and stuff like that. So I mean early on Okay, see, yeah, because I'm thinking of other ones that even yeah. came out later, like Suspiria. Yeah. They did, like, Dario Argento's original 1977 mm-hmm. was not near as gory. I mean, it still featured murders and whatnot, mm-hmm. but it wasn't gory. Night of the Living Dead was gory. This is 1977. They yeah. had plenty of opportunity to up the gore factor if they wanted to. True, true. Uh, you know, like, I mean... So yeah, it didn't really begin to become. They they were definitely ahead of their time and definitely pushed the ratings, because this was still back in a time when I think you still had some of that original code in effect for movies and television, where it's just like it has to be somewhat wholesome. Right. I'm trying to think. Well, of, again, he did it independent, so he yeah. wasn't restricted as much by the by the by the industry. By the, um, I don't know if there's another term for it that I can get out of my head right now. But another fun fact about this movie, all this wonderful work, all this didn't really even need the super graphics because it was this was before um, super graphics that we had in our computer animated stuff was out there. This movie only cost one hundred fourteen thousand, which for that time was a lot of money. But today's you can't even get movies this quality these days for that much money made, which is insane. Oh yeah, 
Because what was it? I was actually trying to think of another movie, and it's called Peeping Tom. It's mm-hmm. from 1960, where a guy basically would lure women back to his apartment under the guise of filming them. Yeah. And he had his camera on a tripod, but one of the legs that would fold out had a knife at the bottom Ooh. of it. But the weird thing was he would basically zoom in on them, but he was walking toward them yeah. and then would flip that knife up. But he would still be walking toward like they had plenty of time to react. But they didn't because they were right. at the camera still looking. Yeah. Came out in 1960. Audiences were definitely not used to seeing that either. But from what I remember, it wasn't even gory. Like it was just you knew these people were dead. Right. You might have seen the dead body and like the yeah. like horrified look right. on their face. Like that's, that's probably a call out to all of those ladies, young ladies trying to get a become a model or something, something like that. Yeah, Psycho was released in 1960. Psycho. Featured a little bit of blood circling the drain for old Marion yep. there, but yeah. Partial true story, by the way. <laughs> yeah. It's based off of an actual guy. Um, I can't remember who it was. Which, um, I can't remember the guy named the guy, but it was real person. And actually, that was part of the story. That, that, that movie told part of the story. Texas Chainsaw Massacre told another part of that man's story. And then I think... Um, what was that? Another movie told the is another movie told another part of his story, but yeah, that was that was partially true information in that movie. Yeah, <laughs> that was a serial killer that was just that messed up. Was <clears> it? <throat> yeah, I can't remember who it was because I wanted to say it was based on Ed Gein, but I don't think that's right. But yeah, that I mean, you definitely have a lot of horror is kind of starting to find its feet. Mm-hmm. Because even the ones that they tried to do beforehand, released in the 1920s or whatever it was, were very tame. Even though you could have gangster movies during that time, you never really showed death on camera. Right. Now, on the other hand, this movie had death on camera, as some of the movies that I just mentioned had before. But those movies... You didn't see the knife wounds in Marion, and you sure as shit didn't see Norman Bates eating her corpse. Right. Mostly because that doesn't happen in the movie, but even if it had, you wouldn't have seen it. So ironically, I'm looking up more information on on Night of the Living Dead. Like we said, the budget for that movie was 114k, mm-hmm. but according to Rotten Tomatoes here, it only grossed in the box office. This is a U.S. only, um, 68.7k. Huh. So it, it fell short slightly. Yeah. Um, but I mean. I understand it's 1968, and what was being portrayed in that period period of time, I can understand it only grossing that much. So. Oh, no, I was right. It was Ed Gein that Norman Bates was based on. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I know my serial killers. <laughs> that's a watch list. Hey, there that's, you go. That, yeah, that's a watch list for me to be on. Um, <laughs> fuck. But. No, I mean, oh, I mean, what else is there really to say about zombies aside from the fact that you can virtually insert them into almost any situation where you want to have a stand-in for human nature? Yes, it, it really never fails. The Walking Dead partly works because even when humans are at their most monstrous, you have the zombies there to give you that counter look of like, you know. What happens, like, zombies can't think, but if you have people who are just as far removed and only looking after themselves who can think, they're worse. Right. 
Like, you know, like they, they have their base instinct, but they also have that higher logical function. Right. And that's why it works. Although the walking dead drug that concept on far too long. Last season. Yeah. They have spinoffs. So. Last season, but in all honesty, it probably should have been the last season like three or four ago. Well, it's just because they, they <clears throat> severely diverged from the graphic novels. So. Oh, I know. The graphic novel just ended, too. Um, they they ended it when Rick died. Mm-hmm. So there you go. But then now, speaking of that, uh, we're speaking of Walking Dead. They have the spinoffs, Fear the Walking Dead, which just started a new season. I watched the first new season episode last week, and it was fire. I like that. It was good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have a new one. Mm-hmm. Um called Walking Dead um, World Beyond World Beyond which focuses on the first generation of children that were born during the apocalypse and I don't know how long it's going to last I don't I can't say bad things about it because it's not really my cup of tea um, as far as my my I'm not the demographic probably that they're trying to reach for this so. they're trying to reach like the 20 year old demographics basically you got a bunch of kids doing what kids do because they're young and they don't understand what's going on. They don't understand how war works. Well, here's the weird, <laughs> here's the weird part though. Like, <clears throat> do you, you remember world war Z? Uh-huh. We talked about that because, uh, I think again, this same sentiment applies to what we have nowadays. Um, you know, even with it, the time after Corona, obviously things have changed, mm-hmm. but kids born during this time won't know anything, but how everything looked now. Right. So it should be a reality that they're used to, and these stupid mistakes should not be prevalent. Right. You would think, right? But in World War Z summed it up really well with, uh, what was it, Kwong Jing Shu's character, the, the doctor who discovered yeah. patient zero, where yeah. he just said, I, I don't envy kids who were born after this. Like, they know the rules. They know not to play near still water. They know, you know, not to go out by themselves after dark without something like they grew up in this, they'll never know what it used to be. Mm -hmm. We can tell them, but they'll never know themselves. They won't have the experience of missing it. Right. But they know the rules, right? They know how to survive. So is, is this new series just kind of going, no, they're still going to do dumb shit. So from the two episodes I've seen, cause it's tonight, yesterday. So it comes on, I believe every Saturday or Friday, so I'm, I haven't seen the latest one, um, but from the two episodes I've seen, it's basically they're still doing the things that their parents did during the during the apocalypse. I mean, sure, they know seriously. how to kill these things now, but they're still going out taking too many risks, especially as, especially being like 12, 15 year olds at the most. Mm-hmm. They're I'm not going to spoil the plot. I'm not going to spoil the plot of the movie, but they're trying to. You got three kids mm-hmm. trying to get somewhere. Um, and they all have, they already, they already all have their own backstories. Um, just a little quick talk. One of them, um, our sister, sister, um, group members, um, one of them killed the mother of one of the members because that person's mother killed their mother and they don't know about it yet, but they're, they're eventually, they've already showed the the, the side view. So eventually that's going to come up later. Yeah, are we going? Uh, so they're still relying on frontier justice. Yes. Well, yeah. no. So, like I said, with that with that show, it basically started um, during when the. Do you remember when Fear the Walking Dead came out? Yeah. Remember that flight that started it? Yeah. Fear the Walking Dead. 
this is part of the point where they start off with with the beyond. Um, huh. These planes that crashed, these zombies everywhere, these people running for their lives, the main character's parents um, are trying to get him out of town, a huh. sub-main character that you're going to find out. His mother is pregnant. She's trying to get to her family. There's one truck. The mother that's pregnant is trying to get to her family. She has a gun. I need this truck because I need to get to my family. The other family's like, we trying to get to our family. We can go together. The mother's like, no. She freaks out, accidentally shoots the mother from the other side. And then the little girl goes, gets the gun. And because you killed my mom, she shoots the pregnant woman. She doesn't realize she's pregnant. Little boy, though, that they meet, they, they're all friends right now. None of them knows that. But it's coming back later because they show the flashpoint. Of course. Yeah. So, yeah, there you go. That's the gist of it. It's, yeah, they already have serious issues and they're just kids. Right. <laughs> they don't know it yet. I mean, yeah. The, <laughs> you already have that friction. You already know there's going to be a battle line in the future, but you just got to wait on it. You know, another thing I love about <clears throat> Night of the Living Dead is. Once again, it's just relating to the time it was filmed in, too, mm-hmm. is that it showed what happened whenever everybody should be working toward a common goal, yep. but the social structures around it are gone. Yep. The common goal is survival. It would be, not everyone will have the same idea on how survival should work. Right. And, and I mean, Ben and, and Harry. Yeah. That's the basis, Yeah. And that's the perfect example because the societal structures aren't there anymore. Like everybody who stays upstairs listens to Ben, even though societally speaking, Ben would have been the last person they would have listened to the week before. But you take that social structure away and that common goal is making it from day to day. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, and all of a sudden everybody's very kumbaya with one another. Kind of. I shouldn't mm-hmm. say that. It's not exactly like they're happy, but, you know, uh, Tom and Judy are fully willing to follow Ben's lead because, well, damn it, he's showing some strength whenever, you know, because Ben's plan makes sense. They bust you that front door, they can go out the back door. They bust you that front door, they can run upstairs. I can't remember if there's an upstairs to that place. There was an upstairs because he oh, said that I've yeah. already boarded the windows upstairs. So, yeah, there's an upstairs. Okay, yeah, so there's an upstairs. You could always tear those boards off and climb out a window there. You know, but you get actually down to says that. I still have a few windows upstairs to board. That's what yeah. he says. Sorry. Because if you yeah. go up to the cell, you go down to the cellar, though, <clears throat> there's no way out. So obviously that plan makes sense to Tom and Judy. Uh, coming from a guy that, like I said, probably the week before they wouldn't have listened to. But now the common goal is everybody makes it out of this. We're stronger than more of us there are. And we've seen how these things operate. They don't care. There is no social structure anymore. The social structure is how am I going to get out alive? Mm-hmm. So it evens the playing field. You know, mm-hmm. apocalyptic events even the playing field because now everybody's in the same boat. Your wealth or privilege, whatever you had before, is not going to bail you out anymore. Mm-hmm. So what do you do? You listen to the guy who's got the ideas. Mm-hmm. And if the guy who's got the ideas has ideas that are better than yours, you follow those ideas. Because until you can come up with something better, shut your trap. Like, you know, like, it's just plain and simple. Follow the leader until the leader has a really dumbass idea. Which eventually they all do. You know, I gotta say, the 
And, and Ben's idea wasn't 100% foolproof. That's proven when they tried to go and um, yeah, fuel get, the the, get the truck. Yeah. And then he had to eventually retreat to the cellar. Um, but at the same time, um, I think had they worked together, been able to work together, the fallback plan would have been last. the cellar is the last last thing in order to survive. You know what? Why he shoots Harry, we forgot to mention this earlier, is because when Ben was coming back from the truck incident, Harry locked him out. Yes. And when he finally got back in, it turned into, did you really just try to feed me to them? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so he had he had pretty good reason to be angry, but yeah. the whole shooting of Harry was still an accident. Yeah. But I think um, had they been able to work, been able to work together, uh, which is another societal mm-hmm. thing, then they could have had the fallback plan to be the seller, which I laugh when I think about it now. I don't really laugh, but it, to me it's amusing because Walking Dead actually took that um, in an earlier previous season. Um, what was it, three seasons, two seasons ago? Um, when they were um, at an old farmhouse that was owned by one of the characters before his character got killed off. And... Um, there was a horde coming, and they literally, like, the house, they decided to hide in the cellars up in the ground because <laughs> the house literally got trampled over and destroyed because of the horde. The horde literally just ran through the house and trashed it. So, yeah, I get that. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I get it's it, too. It's the horde. <laughs> that had to have been a pretty big horde in a really rickety-ass house, too. I mean, I know not everybody follows building codes, but, you know. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> How bad was that house before this whole thing started, right? There you go. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, and in all honesty, uh, Romero even got to explore that whole, you know, what happens when you try and reset a, reestablish a social structure. Because I could argue very easily that Dennis Hopper's character in Land of the Dead was no different than the governor. Okay. He wasn't, that. he wasn't exactly Negan because he wasn't bashing people's head in with a baseball bat. His show of strength was not strength. His show of strength was the ability to schmooze and also lord social status over people. Right. The governor never exactly did that. He did kill people who got in his way a lot. Um, but he was very manipulative and also knew how to get people under him to do what he wanted. Right. So that's, yeah, Dennis Hopper's character is arguably, you know, in, in that movie is also kind of definitely more so the, the governor kind of character you could find in The Walking Dead. I'm not sure which one came first. So, you know, either one could have inspired the other, I suppose, to a certain degree. But um, but they, they both got to play with that idea, though, of what happens whenever you do try and reestablish society. But some of the people uh, involved are not exactly concerned with anything other than their than themselves and their ability to either have something they never had whenever they were on the bottom of the food chain before you know they became part of the food chain versus this new world where they quite literally could do anything they want to a certain degree. And I know we've only touched on the 1968 versions, but of course there were... Other that was the nineteen nineties version, in which um, one of the most famous actors in in the horror genre, who's also a black man, is in um, Tony Todd, who yeah. played Ben 
And I know we really haven't touched on that because we're trying to keep it simple for this one because we're missing Kegger. But um, that, the 90s version spawned, like, I think three different um, pre-sequels to it. So, I mean, they basically, what they did was they redid um, the 68 version and modernized it from the 90s. And it was similar but slightly different from the 68 version. I'm not going to really talk about it because we didn't really... Yeah. I mean, if we want to talk about it, you can. I don't know how much time we got left. It's really funny that we mentioned Final Destination earlier because Tony Todd was in that. The only thing we haven't touched on is freaking Candyman. Exactly. There and you go. supposed to be making another one of those, by the way. With him in it. Yeah. Yeah, Jordan Peele, actually, yep. was behind that because I'll be damned if you cannot make a good story out of the Candyman these days. You there easily you could. But yeah, I mean, and even in the in the new um, in the nineteen in the nineteen nineties version of Living Dead, you had uh, Bill Mosley in that. I know you guys have heard him in a ton of sci fi and horror flicks. I mean, yes, that, that dude is like in everything, um, and he played Johnny in that one. Mm-hmm. Um, ironically, the radio broadcaster is the original radio broadcaster in the sixty eight version. Oh, really? Yeah, Bill um, Cardilli huh. was in the original one as the radio guy. Well, you know what's really funny is that Romero basically threw, like, who was it? I, I can't remember. Was, I'll have to look it up. But, um, damn, I can't. Simon Pegg actually was a radio announcer in one of the Romero movies. Mm, okay. um, I have to remember which. It was well, obviously one of the later ones after Shaun of the Dead came out. But uh, Diary of the Dead, maybe? That was the one that was filmed almost like a documentary reality show kind of thing. Okay. Uh, oh, hold on here. Oh, listen to this. Actually, I take that back. I was I was right about Simon Pegg being in Diary of the Dead, but listen to these other cameos. I got you. Uh, as newsreaders, Quentin Tarantino, Wes Craven, Guillermo del Toro, Simon Pegg, and Stephen King. Wow, okay. Well, Stephen King is a huge fan of horror, as we had mentioned in the Evil Dead cast, because Stephen King was like, Evil Dead is one of the greatest horror movies ever. Mm -hmm. Give them more money. Mm -hmm. You know, but Guillermo del Toro. Yeah, that that dude is obsessed. Like, you know, Wes Craven. Obviously, he gave us some of the greatest horror of all time. And Scream is an absolute masterpiece. The first one. I mean, even if it is a parody movie, it is fantastic. So, so ironically, um, the 1990s version was um, also in October. Hmm. It was um, released October 19th. Oh, there you go. Um, the thing is, Romero didn't direct that one. That was directed by um, Tom Savina. Some Savini. Wait, he was the makeup artist who did a lot of these. Um, Tom Savini? Yeah. Yeah. He He's even, the director for the 1990s version. If I recall correctly, he was also in Dawn of the Dead. Okay. as the. I'm going to look it up now, but the leader of the biker gang that invades the... Uh, Okay. The mall and starts killing everybody. Okay. Yeah, apparently um, George Romero gets the screenplay credit because, you know, it was his, his thing. Oh, yeah. But Jack Russo was producer and Russell Steiner for that version um, was a, was a producer. I mean, that movie itself, the 90s version, was $4.2 million, man. That's a huge difference between the 68 version and the, and the 90s version. That's crazy. I guess with inflation and all, you'll, be, you'll come close to being about the same. Yeah. Probably. See, okay, Tom Savini, he's a freaking horror legend. Uh, mostly as a result of being a prosthetic makeup artist, though. Oh, yeah, you're right. Oh, yeah. That's, he was in um, 
He was a sex machine. Yes. Dust till dawn. Yes, dust till dawn. Yes. <laughs> sex machine. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, he directed the 90s version. I mean, he was also in Creep Show. Yeah. Which was also a George Romero, at least partly George Romero flick. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, dude, he this guy, he was also in uh, the Dawn of the Dead remake yeah. as the badass sheriff who's just like, what do you mean? Shoot him in the head. If you shoot him in the chest, they become twitchers. Then you shoot him in the head up close. He's like, it doesn't matter. You kill him, you burn him. It's that guy. Um, yeah, I mean, that dude's a damn legend. And he, he helped get his start, really, with Romero, but not on Night of the Living Dead. Right. Um, I mean, let's let's see here. It's not giving me the movies that he worked on the... I'm just going to have to look it up, but he, I can't remember how much he's done with practical effects too, because he's absolutely, it's hilarious to think of because he is absolutely like, if yeah, you I'm can, looking up, I'm looking up, I'm already looking him up here now. Yeah. I say, cause if you take a look at his early work and everything, like the dude outside of being an actor, his creature effects have been used in God damn near everything, honestly. Um, let's see here. If we can get makeup department. Let's look at that. And actually, we'll go with special effects, too. He's also been a director. Oh, yeah. He's done a ton of things. I'm looking at his biography. He's done a ton of things. Yeah. I'm trying to think of... <laughs> wow. Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, mm-hmm. like Day of the Dead, Friday the 13th, Final Chapter, which they, you know, that was obviously like the third or fourth one, and then there's been 12 more after that. Because, uh, <laughs> you know, fuck it, why not? They keep making money. Oh, he was he was a Friday the 13th special makeup effects for the original. Um, yeah, special effects. Let's look at those credits. <laughs> Dang. What's that time look like? Uh, I mean, we're. Let me see here. Right at about an hour, an hour ten. Yeah. I mean, what more really is there to discuss, though? Because. Without going into the others, it's not. I mean, we go and start talking about the 90s and then the, the sequels after the 90s. I mean. To be honest, the nineties, the ninety one was okay. Yeah, I liked the original. The ninety was okay, but then version two sort of sucked. Version three was just like, is this still a zombie movie or is this a government industrial weapon? I think <laughs> the only remake that I've ever seen of Romero's movies that I've really liked, because let's just face it, obviously Day of the Dead remake that had Nick Cannon and Mina Zivari and it was. Awful. I'm not kidding. I don't that one. Yeah, I know. That's a good reason why. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty terrible. Come on, really? Right, Return of the Living Dead 3. Yeah, see that. It was um, a rom com horror. I mean, come on. <laughs> right. At that point, you're just running out of shit to do. There you go. Like, uh, Dawn of the Dead remake by Zack Snyder. I know I rag on Zack Snyder a little bit on here, but mm-hmm. I actually did enjoy that movie. 
They also did a 3D, Night of the Living Dead 3D. Oh, wow. I don't. I haven't seen that. I can I, just tell you that now. I haven't either. <laughs> um, but yeah, Dawn of the Dead remake was actually pretty solid. I think it captured a lot of the consumerism that Romero liked to mess with. Uh-huh. But it still didn't have the same soul to it, which you can say that all you want about every remake under the sun. It's just the way it works, you know. But it also was uh, very interesting in the fact that the guy who had all the ideas in the Dawn of the Dead remake wasn't that rich snob who later went on to be on Modern Family, by the way. Yeah, go go back and look at Ty Burrell because he went from being the up snarky asshole in the Dawn of the Dead remake to being the doofus Phil Dunphy on Modern Family. And then... uh, who else do you have in there? Ving Rhames, the uh, badass police officer who seemingly only spoke in three-word sentences but was there to beat some ass if you needed it. But the guy who came up with all the ideas, the dude who basically worked at that universe's equivalent of Best Buy, he's the one who had all the brilliant ideas, and it was a guy that they probably wouldn't have listened to the week before kind of thing. So it mm-hmm. captures that same element that Romero always had of it's always the guys who were resourceful, were the ones who were the new alphas in this social hierarchy. You know, like, and the thing is, he never imposed his will upon anybody who was actually a reasonable dude. The other people around him weren't so reasonable. But, yeah, so, um, I mean, this set up an entire horror genre that we still... Have I've yet seen to, uh, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a D movie. I see. <laughs> I categorize it as a D movie. I'm sorry, you're talking to me. I'm listening to you, but yeah. I was looking at this. I was rereading the summary of um, yeah. Night of Living Dead Part Three, and I have seen that. And yeah, it's it's not Romero's. No, so it's far from Romero's. <clears throat> so, really, George Romero deserves all the credit for giving us a genre that still. 52 years later, has yet to die. Mm-hmm. And even if it does die, it, true to its own nature, it comes back, mm-hmm. uh, you know, after a little bit. Well, it's because you set the basics. I mean, every modern-day zombie movie that you've seen or or a um, movie like Quarantine or 28 Days, 28 Weeks Later, it, the basis of it always goes back to remember whether or not the cause of people being becoming these creatures that are hard to kill and are sort of semi-mindless, it's still the basis of Romero's work. Um, And it still follows, actually, a similar viral disease model. It does. Infection by bite, infection by biohazard. Yeah, infection by biohazard contacts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, so really, in terms of the fact of you can always have a zombie movie because diseases never die. Right. There you go. Like, you know, all these diseases we have now are through various methods without going too far into them or making a comeback tour. Right. Um, You know, so, yeah, it's it's something that's incredibly visceral on a lot of fronts. Like, you have your disease model, you have your, you know, social hierarchies getting collapsed because these are human beings that cannot be reasoned with. This is us at our basics. This is us when we only care about what we can 
consume whenever mm-hmm. we're just looking out for ourselves, even though their higher brain function's gone. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's that, like, like I was mentioned earlier, permanent, fl- permanent fight mode. Mm-hmm. Zombies don't do flight, they do fight. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, the only thing we don't gather from Romero's movies is if these zombies will eventually rot to death. It's yeah, that's yeah, that's the only thing. Um, yeah, that, that's true. You don't really know. It doesn't really because I mean, you have people that were like literally coming out of the grave. Mm, yeah, like there's people that were partly partly um, desiccated. They were coming out of the grave. So you right, you don't really know if they're gonna actually rot to death or they just is all ever for of a force or not. Mm. Yeah, you don't get that. Yeah, and even at that, it's like, I mean, it's pretty terrible because if it was spores burning the bodies might not exactly be a great idea because as you burn some of that goes back into the atmosphere so it's a good reason why you don't stand next to a burning pile of of poison ivy as someone I know once did (laughs) not me I think a lot of people found that out the hard way yeah I mean I'm not allergic to it so it doesn't really do anything to me but I knew somebody who was very highly allergic to it ooh that's not good nope that is a hospital visit. Yes, sir. Uh, um, what else did we get from that? Um, I was going to say something, but it's, it's, hmm. isn't money. It doesn't really matter. Um, we already know about the biohazard thing. Um, yeah, that's... I don't know anything else I, so, that, they, that they covered in there that would... Yeah. I mean... Yeah, I mean, as far as zombies go, they're the only, hopefully, mythological creature, uh, you know, that that is really, you know, it, and the whole point of them is it, it very literally can be anybody. Right. It's your friends. It's your neighbors. Because it, it was once your friend, but they came back because of this. Right. And it's hard to say if it actually, if they don't rot to death, does it just fully kill them and put them in that kind of brain damage state to where they lose a lot of that motor function that they might have normally had because they're not, yeah, I don't know. There's never been a zombie movie that really explains that. Yeah. Um, the closest. Never have a, like a zombie autopsy series. The, I the closest think, that ever came to that were in the later um, non-Romero Night of the Living Dead movies. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the ones that I was looking through while um, Toothman was talking was um, Night of Living Dead Part 3, where it became basically the military had found a way to have created this formula, I'm assuming from the spores of the original, mm. uh, well, of the 1990s movie, um, it was a, it, this gas, they had discovered that it reanimate corpse, and they figured out how to shoot some type of either ice bullets or some type of cryogenic bullets into the brain of the zombie and it immobilized them. Mm. And they were basically trying to create an intelligent zombie, which they ended up doing. Which, um, but again, that's that wasn't Romero's version. That was um, done by a different director. It even it didn't even have Mr. Um, Salvini in it either. He didn't yeah. touch that one either. But it was, yeah, yeah. So I mean, yeah, he I mean he gave us <laughs> a, as it turns out, like my favorite mythological creature. Like I said, hopefully, fingers crossed. You know, <laughs> like it. And at least if it is one that would happen to be real, it's one that's a lot easier to take down than a damn vampire or werewolf. Because I don't know about you, but I don't have any silver laying around. Hey, 
I'm gonna tell you like this, man. Werewolf legends have been around forever. So have vampire have. werewolves have been around forever. So vampire legends are my favorite though, because vampires are the only ones that you can defeat by having them count. <laughs> yeah, that's. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole basis for the count on Sesame Street. Yeah, yeah. And it's hilarious because yeah. that's. I can't remember what culture that was in, but basically, if you scattered a shitload of beans around the crypt where you thought a vampire would be. Uh, they would be forced to count all of them individually and couldn't leave the crypts because it was like some form of compulsion with them. So if you could keep them in there till morning, they had to go back into their coffin. Well, I mean, a lot of those old legends, even witches and warlocks, are like mm. that, similar to that, and leprechauns are similar to that too. Could you, could you just imagine like a vampire chasing somebody down like an alleyway, and all of a sudden he sees in the window like count all these beans to win a prize? <laughs> like, guess how many jelly beans are in this jar? And be like, ah, oh, shit. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, we hope that that stays in the fantasy and mythology. Mm-hmm. But in today's science-driven world and nature itself, finding ways to to keep us in our place as mm-hmm. humans, as animals in this world, we never know because we already know that there are versions of this that happens to insects and animals. That's true. Um, the cordyceps fungus. Yeah. specifically to ants, yeah. um, which The Last of Us, if anybody's ever played those games, is based all around that concept of cordyceps yeah. evolving to be able to find bigger hosts. So ants, there have been um, cicadas that are infected by this thing. Yeah. There have been some bees that are infected by this thing. The thing that terrified me was reading reports about these cicadas. That's scary. Yeah. In case you guys, I'm going to give you a little backdrop on that. This fungus not only takes over the cicada's brain, but it also keeps them enough of their instincts alive where they still want to mate. And it takes it takes their reproductive system and completely destroys it where they're technically sterile, but it reforms it where they can still have insect sex and infect their partner. Oh, the wow. That is scary. I read that report. It's real. It's in science news. It's like a reading a horror flick. And I'm terrified if that ever mutates into animals because that'll be messed up oh god yeah that'll be a real zombie apocalypse right there that one is legitimate (laughs) uh there's also a type of parasite that infects fish and makes them go up to the surface which then Mm -hmm. like you know like a seagull or whatever will swoop down grab the fish and Mm -hmm. you have the the circle of life you know just (laughs) so i mean there there's some there's some scary things and you know people um, who also keep a tab on wildlife, there's um, wasting disease, which they've told a lot of people who hunt deer to watch out for that because they don't want that to become... To, it's a disease that affects animals that basically makes them waste away and they eventually die from it, but it's been communicable. And so they tell hunters whenever you hunt like wildlife like deer, elk, just be wary um, of the disease um, because... They don't want to jump into humans because it could do the same thing potentially to humans as well. Yep. Um, but it's a wasting disease. So there are a lot of things out there in the world that our fantasy is slowly driving to realism. So let's just hope that it stays fantasy. And, you know, as long as people follow guidelines and try to stay safe, we can we can keep stuff from being from that's in horror movies from coming true to, I, to an extent. Yeah, so I guess there's <laughs> a there's another lesson from today's podcast is. <laughs> Hopefully, horror stays where it's at, and we don't find any more inspiration. Yes. No uh, inspiration. Yeah, so there we go. No more inspiration. I'll take whatever problems we have now and continue making as many, <laughs> you know, what was it, Babadooks or ghosts or yeah. 
God, I think they even did a shitty Tooth Fairy horror movie at one point. I'll take another Krampus movie for the love of God. Don't give me another disease to worry about. Yeah, please no. At least not one that's anything like that uh, cordyceps fungus. Oh, goodness, no. I mean, I love The Last of Us, but, you know, as a game. Yeah. Not in real life. I see one of those guys coming at me, mushroom head, like, you know, all looking like one of Davy Jones crew members and Pirates of the Caribbean movies. They kind of do. Right. Uh, yeah. At that point, there's nothing else to do but shit and die. Right. So, you know, that's it. That's all I got. Hey, I got nothing new to add. Um, thank you guys for listening to us. Um, but we're going to do a new, uh, well, I guess George Romero by default is the glorious bastard for tonight's oh, yeah. cast. So, Easily. Uh, George Romero. Um, I even give shouts out to Ben for being courageous and not changing the script. Um, his real name was Dwayne. Um, Dwayne Jones. Dwayne Jones. Give you shots out. Um, Tony Todd, when you guys did a remake, I know we didn't talk about the 90s version, but give you guys a shout out as well. It was slightly mm-hmm. different. Um, but give you guys a shout out to anybody that's doing these movies, uh, these horror flicks, especially during this time. Thank you for giving us something to make us hold on to each other, make us, you know, make us cringe and and know that though this is not real mm. the societal messages that it gives us to tell us hey we, we probably should work together more than separate from each other i appreciate that oh hell yeah in fact you know just on top of that go watch this movie if you haven't and then after that enjoy the spooky month all goddamn month long because there's so many good horror movies to look at oh yeah everything from it follows let the right one in you want a really good laugh? Go watch uh, Dracula Three Thousand because Gerard Butler was Dracula. <laughs> Horrible accent. Dracula. Has one of my favorite lines in Dracula history, though. So I think somebody holds up a Bible to him, mm-hmm. and it has the cross on the cover, mm-hmm. and he recoils for a second, but then he gets this smile and he goes, "Ooh, propaganda!" <laughs> Fucking makes me laugh every time. <laughs> nothing, nothing quite like it. Uh, and then and, um, a couple more um, on the 23rd of this month Hulu is coming out with a show about um, hair and it's a horror flick um, check it out um, it's hilarious it looks like um, and then again watch Us um, oh please yes watch um, I think it's Antebellum the newer one that that, um, that, that he just released uh, Midsummer, which in all honesty draws a lot of inspiration from the Wicker Man okay to me, at least, it does. Um, um, and not the Nicolas Cage Wicker Man, damn it. I'm talking the original <laughs> one. Yeah, so, yeah, uh, definitely enjoy the spooky month. Have fun. Be safe. Uh, remember, um, it's horror, and life is sometimes horrible, but in the end, it's always nice to be able to laugh at it because, you know, it's only sometimes in the imagination. I like how you put that sometimes in the imagination. If you want something that's not in the imagination, go watch The Strangers. <laughs> I'll leave you with that one. Huh? Right. <laughs> Sleep well. <laughs> Don't answer the door. <laughs> All right. Hey, guys. Um, again, thank you for listening. This is Ray BG signing off. And Cody. You guys have a nice, wonderful evening and enjoy the spooky month. <laughs> Stay safe, y'all. <laughs>